Okay, now I'm going to do uh, today's reading from Psalm 19. And the theme here of Psalm 19, which was by David, the theme here is showing that both God's creation and his word, together they reveal his greatness to us. So Psalm 19, let's, let's read the Lord's word now. And it says this. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour out speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And this is from David and obviously from the Lord himself. I want to speak a little bit personally this morning. I want to speak in a way which I hope sets us up for for 2022. And I found I met the Lord in a new way uh, across 2021. I guess it started in the sabbatical the year before. 2020, it seems like a, that seems like a long time ago now, but I feel like I met the, long, the Lord in a, in a very new and deeper and more personal kind of way. And it's a long story, and I'm not going to bore you with it this morning. If you're really interested, um, then you'll need an hour or two, and you can take me out for coffee, and I'll, I'll tell you the story by all means. Um, but I won't bore you with that this morning. As evangelical Christians, we say that we have a personal relationship with God. That is that through Jesus, I can be forgiven. By the Holy Spirit, I can be empowered and connected to God without the need of any other priest or or personnel. That's an amazing thing that you, through Christ, and I, through Christ, um, can relate to God uh, directly. Though I think sometimes we've got a bit confused, and maybe what we've taken that to mean when we say a personal relationship with God is that I can have an individual relationship with God, which is both an essential truth, 
You have to come to Christ individually. It is your choice. You cannot have a second-hand uh, relationship with God through your partner or your parents or through history or your family or through anybody else. You have to come individually and respond to what Christ has done on the cross. There is no way around that. So you can have an individual relationship with God. You must have an individual relationship with God. And yet that is much less than the whole truth. And that is not what it means to have a personal relationship with God. What does it mean to have a personal relationship with God? Surely it means uh, a relationship that is person to person. A relationship that is person to person. And we know that God is personal. God is actually three persons in one being. God has an interpersonal relationship with himself. That's an interesting starting point, but we can't explore the mysteries of the Trinity this morning. But he has. He's a one God in, in three persons. He has interpersonal relationships uh, within himself. And surely it must at the very least mean a relationship in which there is two-way communication. A relationship in which each part speaks and is heard by the other. And that's what I want to investigate briefly this morning. I want to explore one essential truth about the Lord. The Lord is the name of our God. Sometimes we'll call him God, that's kind of a title. Sometimes we call him the Lord, that is his name. The Lord is... Uh, transliteration of Yahweh or, or Jehovah, that is his name, and maybe we should use his name when we're talking about meeting with him personally. I want to explore that our God is, is a God who speaks and a God who wants to enter into a speaking personal relationship with us. And then just ask two questions. If God speaks, what are the implications for us about how we maintain uh, a relationship with him? What does that look like? Uh, some of the mistakes we can make. And if we say that we believe in a God who speaks, why are we so uncertain of what to do and where to go so much of the time? <clears throat> so let's explore this, this idea that our, our God is a God who speaks. And the amazing thing is that at the beginning, the Lord speaks absolutely everything that we know, everything that we know of, the floor on which you stand, the home um, to which you go to, everything that the James Webb telescope uh, will explore, uh, which went up on Christmas Day, didn't it? I always thought that was a bizarre bit of timing, but there you are. Um, hopefully it's unfolding itself in space even as we speak. Everything that we experience came into being because God spoke it. Because God spoke it into being. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. The spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. God called the light day and he called the darkness night. He spoke it into being and he gave it a verbal name. Verbal means to do with words. Everything we relate to, everything we experience was created by the speaking God by speaking. That's important. Our God is a, it's a God who, who, who bursts forth um, with, with speech. And because it was created by a speaking God, so creation itself speaks to us. And we saw that in Psalm 19 and we explored a little bit with the kids. 
So if you, if you still have that open, I want you to keep your finger in Colossians, but if you still have Psalm 19 open, you'll see that it says the skies, they have no speech. In other words, they have no words. They use no words. No sound is, is heard from them, and the psalmist doesn't mean there's no thunder or anything. It just means there's no speech sounds coming from them, and yet they pour forth speech. They reveal knowledge. So the skies are speaking to us again and again. They're pouring out speech day by day by day by day by night by night by night. And they are saying, according to Romans, they're saying there is a God. And they're saying God made me. They're saying God made me. There is an eternal and immense um, creator God. We call this God's general revelation. It's his speech to all people um, at all times and in all places. And uh, Paul says in Romans, it's, it's speech that is understood. People may say they don't understand it, but it is understood. And therefore, people are without excuse if they turn away from God or deny that he exists. But going back to Genesis 1. So let's see if I can catch up. After he's spoken, so God's spoken everything into existence, and creation continues to speak, God decides uh, on day six to, to make man in, in his image. It's uh, Genesis 1, verse 26. And he says, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so they may rule over the fish. He's speaking amongst the persons of the Trinity. God, is, God speaks to himself. So part of his decision-making process um, is verbal. And then he creates them in his, in his own image. And then what's the first thing he does? What's the first thing he does once they're created? He's, he speaks to them. He speaks to them. God created mankind in his own image, male and female. He created them. He blessed them and he said. He said to them, be fruitful, increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish. The sea and the birds and the sky and every living creature, he, he speaks to them. That's a personal relationship with God. It's a relationship where God speaks and people can speak back. And in fact, you see, we are made in the image of God. We're the only creatures that really speak. I know creatures have language. You know, and my dog wags its tail and, and I think I know what my dog is saying. Um, and other creatures have more uh, involved means of communication, but we are the only creatures that have words because we're made in the image of God and we understand speech. There's no point God speaking to the human beings if they don't understand him. We understand the speech. It makes us different from the animals. Keep pointing in that way and it's over there. After the fall, so Adam and Eve are cast out of the Garden of Eden because they don't trust God's word to them. They don't trust God's promise to them. God has made a verbal agreement with them um, and they turn it down. But the Lord reestablishes his relationship with humankind initially through Abraham. And he does that by words. Does that verbally. Note the difference between verbal and oral if you've never thought about that before. If we say something is verbal, we mean it's in words. If we say something is orally, we mean it's, it's by speech, it's by the mouth. Um, 
But God makes, he speaks, he makes an oral and verbal agreement with, with Abraham. Um, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The Lord, the Lord speaks. In fact, we, we never really quite find out how the Lord speaks as an occasion where uh, the Lord appears as, as, as a human being to, to Abraham and, and speaks to him. But he does. He speaks to them. And then later on, um, when we get to Israel becoming a nation, the, the, Lord, the Lord speaks to them. And the Lord comes down on, on, on Mount Sinai um, and, and he speaks. And we call it the Ten Commandments, but literally uh, in Exodus 20, they're called the Ten Words. Simply called the Ten Words. God spoke. Let me look that up for you. God spoke all these words. Actually, NIV's got it in their translation. God spoke all these words to them. And he gives them the, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words. But this speaking was terrifying. So in verse 18, Exodus 20, when the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They, they stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us or we will die. And that's important as we'll see later on. Because the Old Testament is designed to give us the New Testament in picture language. So the Old Testament is the New Testament in picture language. It's designed to illustrate God with us. It's to remind us that were you to hear God speak to you unmediated, without anybody in between, you would be terrified. So we explored a little bit over, over Christmas. If God were to come to you now and speak to you, you would, you would be shattered. And then, of course, we find out that God speaks through his son. Jesus is the word. We talk about that over Christmas. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the word of God who is there at creation. Maybe he is there in that very speaking of things into being. Jesus is that word at creation. Jesus is the word who is the complete revelation of God. So Hebrews said, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus is the word of God. John describes him as such. And so Jesus himself will say, I am the way, the truth. And the life and then Jesus appoints apostles people to speak and to understand and to write down and to proclaim definitively what his life and death meant and the implications of what they were for for us so we have the written word of God too this is the prophetic and apostolic word of God written down so your God, my God, the Lord, it's in his very nature that he is, is a speaking God, that he wants a personal 
relationship with you, that his, he wants a speaking relationship with you. He wants to speak to you. And he offers you, what a privilege, the opportunity to, to speak back to him in confidence that, that you have been heard. So let's just think through a few implications. To know the Lord, then you, you have to hear him speak. You have to hear him speak. That's, that's kind of basic, isn't it? If he's a speaking God and you want a relationship with him, you have to hear him speak. If you haven't heard him speak, then actually I'm not sure you have a relationship with God. And I'm not talking about um, voices in the head or in the darkness. I'm talking about God speaking through his word to you. Have you really, have you really heard God speak um, through his word to you? What uh, the normal means of communication God has is that he, as you read his word, his spirit acts to apply that, that word um, to you, to, to your spirit, to your heart. So if you want to hear God speak, you, you have to read. It is just in the nature of God. So if you want to say to me, Nick, ah, this is a chore, this is a pain, um, this is an uh, unnecessary strain you're putting me under, then uh, all I can say to you is, um, I'm really sorry, but that is the nature of God. It is in the nature of God that he speaks and he speaks with words. That is, is, that is in his nature. That is why we have a book and really, essentially, your, your attitude to the book is, is your attitude to God. You can't, can't say that you have, whatever your attitude to the book is, 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 is how you're treating the Lord. Because he wants, he wants to speak to you. He longs to speak to you. You might say, what about people who, who, who can't read? Well, I once heard a story and never had a chance to check whether it's true about a guy who could read the Bible and nothing else. Um, he couldn't read, but he could read the Bible. It just seemed the Lord had given him grace to be able to read and understand Scripture. You might say, well, what about those people who are not that clever? Well, uh, I heard firsthand from a guy I knew who, who was a grocer. He was, um, you know, by his own admission, he was an ordinary guy. He was not an intellectual. And he used to say that he'd been taught early on in life that if you don't understand the Bible, read it again. If you, don't understand, if you still don't understand it, read it again. Um, and if you still don't understand it, read it again. And there's real truth in that. We would add, of course, pray. And I'll promise you, I think I can safely promise you this morning that if you read the Bible prayerfully, persistently, and submissively, the Lord will speak to you. Certainly I've had nobody yet, we've said that repeatedly, I've said that repeatedly from the pulpit. You have heard that in home groups. If you read the Bible prayerfully and persistently, the Lord will speak to you through his word um, by his spirit. No one has yet come back to me and said that they've tried this and it hasn't worked. So either it does work or you haven't tried it. And um, come and tell me if you have tried this and it, it hasn't worked. But you need to understand that to... 
here's a little tester as to whether you've really heard the Lord speaking through scripture, is that to hear the Lord um, speaking personally is, is frightening. It is terrifying. Do you know how I really know that I've heard the Lord speaking through scripture? Um, go off peace for a moment. The way I really know that the Lord spoke to me through scripture is, is that is my first response is, oh no. Oh no. Oh my goodness. Oh my God. Oh gracious, how did I get that wrong? If you to hear the Lord speaking personally is frightening. And that's the intention of the Lord's coming down on Sinai. He comes down on the mountain, he comes in flames and fire and thunder and smoke and, and, and trumpet because he wants the people to know that dealing with this God is frightening and he wants to know that these Ten Commandments are deadly, deadly serious for them. If you've never, never heard the Lord speak in a way that is frightening, then I, I think you've missed something because I think everybody who becomes a Christian comes to that point of knowing that they're not right with God. And they instinctively know that they're not right with God, then he is terrifying. And they are in an absolutely terrifying place where they need the grace, need something to deal with their sin, to take that um, terror away. And I think that's why we instinctively shut him out. To hear God speak is to know that you are sinful and small and insignificant. To hear God speak is to have your world rocked. So Isaiah 6, I haven't got time to go there, but you know when Isaiah sees a vision of the Lord, his first response is, woe is me. And I wonder whether, would Isaiah have gone to the temple that morning if he'd known that was going, what was going to happen? Would he have gone, oh yes, I'm going to have this amazing experience of God, or would he have said, oh, goodness me, I don't really want to meet God face to face. And only you know which attitude is in your heart. So as we explore at Christmas, God is terrifying and uh, and will reveal himself to you. I think, in fact, that perhaps the best thing God can do for you today is, is to reveal himself to you in something of that, uh, of that terrifying nature. I think I would ask, I would even ask the Lord for that. I would say, Lord, reveal something of this majesty to me today, because otherwise I don't really know you. But because alongside that, for those who trust the Lord, comes this other revelation from God's word that he is terrifying and yet he has made a way for us not to be afraid. And we know what that is. It is the blood of Christ. The death of Christ on the cross covers, covers sin. So we don't need, when we stand before God, we don't need to be terrified. Yes, we're going to be in awe, but we don't need to be terrified that he's going to burn us to a crisp. And I find that as my relationship with God has become more personal, it's increased in both those dimensions. I see God as a person, in a sense as a being who wants to deal with me, a God who is awesome and frightening, and yet I'm less fearful. I'm less fearful of him because I know Christ better and I understand because I find that as I know him personally, uh, he's, I've encountered his word in a new and fresh way. But also I'm less frightened of other stuff. 
Because once you've realised how frightening God is, and yet you are right with him in Christ and everything else, starts to sink in its fearfulness. You have to know God as the frightening, speaking God. To hear the Lord speak is, is experiential. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to make this an intellectual thing. To hear the Lord speak is an experience. When he says he loves you, the Spirit applies that to your heart so that you have a confidence and that feeling that you're loved. When he says he's your father, the Spirit applies that to your heart so that you have a sense, this confidence that you have a, a fatherly relationship with him. And when he says that you, you don't need to worry and you can bring on your anxieties to him, then the, the Spirit applies that to your heart to give you a supernatural peace. So our relationship with God is, 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 a, is, a, is a personal because it's God speaking, but as he speaks to the Christian, the spirit applies that to your heart to make that real and felt. But where you have feelings without the word they need interpreting, if you have an experience of the, of the Lord or you think you've had an experience needs to be explained and anchored in, in the word of God. You need to go back to scripture and say, what is the Lord saying to me? And allow the scripture to understand that. Sometimes we seek the feeling. Sometimes we come on Sunday morning and we seek to have our, our, our feelings buoyed. And that's not wrong, but we must know why at the end of the day our feelings are buoyed as well. There must be a... Um, both a word and a feeling. If we just seek feelings, then that's mysticism or magic or self-hypnosis or something else. So, and final thing in this is treat the Lord as a person. So we kind of, I hear people talk of the Holy Spirit as it. It, it won't do, it really won't do um, because you've misunderstood who and what the Lord is makes him sound like the force in Star Wars. And I think quite a lot of the time, you know, Star Wars has quite a pervasive influence and we kind of talk about God like he's the force. And if we kind of like sort of do the right thing, then the force will kind of empower us. It's, it's not how it is. You have a speaking relationship with God. But the Holy Spirit is the personal presence of God with you. And he can be grieved. He can be grieved. If you, if you think you have a person with you all the time, um, then you, you, don't, you don't offend them. If you think you're walking with somebody, you know, if you're walking down the street with somebody, you don't offend them along the way. Not if they're a friend, not if you intend to keep walking with them or you want them to keep walking with you. I guess there are times for deep conversations. So, and I hesitate to mention this, but there was somebody who came and spoke to our young people and talked about having kind of, having his quiet time on the loo. Okay. Um, and I kind of think my view of those things has changed. I kind of think if you, in the personal presence of the Holy God, and he is a person, you don't, unless they're really intimate, you don't invite people into the loo to have deep conversations with them, not, not in the main. And if God is a person, then I think you need to think about those kind of things. And Paul says we're not separated by God by nakedness or sword. I understand that. But God is a person, and he's a holy person at that. 
and sometimes we just think about the ways in which suddenly we treat him as sub-personal. Okay, one more thing. Why don't we understand then? God is a speaking God. Why do we flounder knowing what is the right thing to do? And somebody hopefully has still got their, got their finger in Colossians chapter 1. It's on page 11, 82. Hopefully you've all got that. Turn it, turn it up if you wouldn't mind. Page 11, 82. You got it? It goes like this. For this reason, Paul speaking to the Colossians, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. That's what we'd like, isn't it? Knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. We looked at this a few weeks ago, and so I'm not going to go in, in depth again, but just an understanding of the Lord, walking with this speaking God means reading his word, and the spirit applies it to your heart, um, you apply it to your life, um, you, do something, you do something about it, as you apply it to your life, you, you know God better, and as you know God better, you come back to his word. It speaks more powerfully. The spirit applies it to your life. You change whatever the next thing um, God has on his heart for you to change. As you change that, you know God better. Uh, and, and so you go round. There's a kind of cycle here that when you hear God speaking through his word, you, you have to put it into practice. And Paul is praying. Paul is praying that as they... As they, as, they, as they read the word, that they'll know God's will with all wisdom and understanding. And in fact, you can turn this up, but it's interesting in these three prison epistles, which are written about the same time, Paul says to the Ephesians, I keep asking that God may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so you may know him better. And in Philippians, he says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless. Paul wants them. He wants them to understand. He says, praying, praying, praying for you that you really understand uh, what the will of God is so you can walk in a holy kind of way and so that when the day comes, when Christ comes, you'll still be, you'll be walking in Christ, you'll be pure and, and you'll be blameless. <laughs> and I think this is kind of like a pastor's prayer. We said that before, didn't we? Keep asking that God gives you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. I guess you should pray that when you come to church. Um, please give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation. I might know you better. I might hear from you. I guess you should pray that for the preacher. Please give him the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Pray it when you come uh, to his word. Because what we need is Wisdom having this conversation with, over Christmas with some folks in the Bible. There is theology, there is stuff which is clear and categorical. And then beyond that, we need wisdom. Wisdom and understanding for 
comes here wisdom, wisdom, discernment, understanding. That's what we need so that we can go out and we can live a proper life. And some questions are theological questions. Do all religions lead to God? No. Well, it's the theological questions. Some questions then will have a, will have a, have a direct answer. But some questions are wisdom questions. So all the time, you know, elders have met kind of uh, on and off over the last two years, trying to work out how and when do we meet. Um, and, and theology comes into that. Is it important that Christians meet in person? Yes, fundamentally, um, we're called to do so. But in a COVID world, uh, what is helpful, what is faithful? Uh, should Christians, should Christians uh, obey their governments? Yes, they should. Um, so there are questions of theology, questions of scripture coming to apply, but then we've had to apply wisdom what is the best way to do this? And then next week, we're going to meet the architects and they're going to talk about buildings. What are we going to do with our buildings? And I think it's a wisdom question. That you can turn to scriptures and the scriptures will not tell you what kind of building you should build because we are not Moses. Um, it would be easier if we were Moses and he got a complete plan of the temple he was supposed to build. And it'd be really nice if the Lord said, yes, go and build this. Um, in fact, if you ask the Congregational Union at a certain time, what do we build? Then they said, build this. Uh, and there's, because there's more than one of these buildings around the, the country, but we don't have a stock plan. So theology applies. Do, do we need to meet as people? Yes, we do. What's the best way of doing that? Um, do, are we a people who should be serving our community? Yes, we should. But in what way? What are the good works that God has um, prepared in advance for us to do? That depends on who the people are. It depends on what their gifts are. Depends on what those good works he's put on your heart are. These are wisdom, wisdom questions. And wisdom is found by thinking <laughs> and praying and reading and living and applying. It doesn't come off the shelf. So Tim Keller said that, that uh, learning wisdom is like a boiled sweet. Um, it's kind of like a boiled sweet, something that you have to kind of suck and you have to keep on sucking to get, to get the joy out of it. It's not like something you can just bite out. It's not like a piece of fudge. Um, so I think there are a couple of shortcuts and, and people make these mistakes. I think sometimes people, uh, you know, we randomly, you randomly pick up the Bible. Which building should we build? Oh, well, let, me, let me kind of, you know, it's not going to work, is it? Randomly go through the Bible and, and um, we might find that bit about Moses and about uh, painting cherubim on the walls and things, and, you know, but it's not going to help, is it? When you want wisdom, you have to be systematic. You have to be applying all of scripture. You have to apply what you've learned and you have to be getting to know God better through it. If those things, that's how wisdom is learned. Wisdom is learned over a lifetime of trying to apply um, the word of God. There aren't any shortcuts. The other shortcut is to pray for a direct revelation. Both of these are half right, aren't they? Um, read randomly in the hope of a direct answer. Yeah, we might discover that there's a, a theological principle that we've forgotten, but better that we know the Bible and we've learned wisdom over the years. Or ask for a direct revelation. Well, it's important that the Spirit uh, speaks to us through Scripture, which, so it's good as far as it goes. And we may well ask for a, a decision of the enormity of those that we're going to look at, that God speak to us directly. But he may choose not to. You may say, go away, and, go away and apply wisdom. Too many Christians are looking for shortcuts 
and are not looking, are not looking to grow wise. It's a real shame. It's a real shortage. Real shortage in the, in the kingdom of God of the wise Christians. People who've wrestled with the scriptures, worked out those hard things about how they apply to their lives, have then put them into practice. In putting them into practice, have then got to know the Lord better. And have then gone back to scripture and back to their lives with this better knowledge of the Lord. Need a new generation of, of wise Christians. That's what Ernie had. If you think back to Ernie, that's what made him, him special. He was not just a, a godly guy, but he was a wise guy. He'd worked out, spent time working out what is wisdom in, in all kinds of different situations. So this morning, the Lord, the Lord wants to speak to you. Um, he really does. Uh, our God, the Lord, Yahweh, uh, he's, a, he's a speaking God. And in fact, although you may not realize it, he's already spoken to you. He's already spoken to you. He's already spoken to you in the skies. He's probably, if you're here this morning, he's probably already spoken to you um, through his word or through um, somebody you know. And, and, and you have a decision to make about um, what are you going to do with, this, with the speech that you've heard. You're either going to open the Bible and respond to it in prayer or you're going to continue to shut him out. Remember, your attitude to this is, is your attitude to, to the Lord. If you keep this closed, essentially you're saying to the Lord, I don't want to hear you speak. It's not a great place for anybody to be. It's not a great place for um, a, a Christian to be. You need to hear him. We need to hear him. And in this year, we're going to need wise Christians who've spent time wrestling, wrestling with their questions, wrestling with the stuff they don't understand. That's one of the things I think I've, I've learned over the year as well, is that when I don't understand, I just say, Lord, I don't understand. Don't get this. And ask the Lord for understanding. Are you going to be one of them? Are you going to be one of the wise Christians this year? Are you going to be one of those people who wrestles down wisdom? Otherwise, we will, we'll have church meetings and we'll try and make decisions, but we might we risk kind of pooling our ignorance. Need people who are going to wrestle with the word of God, wrestle with the application of the word of God and become wise. The Lord is speaking. The Lord is speaking to you today. He has spoken to you. Only question is, are you, are you listening? And what are you going to do about it? So let's take a moment to... Uh, a moment of quiet. And if you're brave, feeling brave, say, Lord, what are you saying to me today? And if you're really brave, say, Lord, will you show you something of your, your reality, something of your awesomeness to me today? We've got a bit of time, so we can spend a moment or two and just ask, invite you to pray and just ask the Lord, what, do you, what are you saying to me this year? Ask him the question, am I, am, I, am I shutting you out? If you want to pray something out loud or if you want to respond to that in prayer out loud or if the Lord lays something on your heart, then feel free to, to, to pray it out loud.
Lord our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Thank you that you speak. And you speak and you speak and you speak again. Some days we're just not listening. We ask you to forgive us for those times. Please speak to us this year, today. Please show us who you are. Show us your might, your awesomeness. Give us a a glimpse of the God of Sinai. So that we might take you seriously. But also can help us keep our eyes as we have done today on the cross. Again to know the seriousness of the situation we were in. And yet uh, the immense love that you've shown that would drive you to send your son to the cross. Keep us growing this year we pray Father God. And give us understanding, give us wisdom, especially in these next few weeks. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.